November greetings and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's final lecture series online edition. I'm Anthony Wong, Program Coordinator of the Institute, and I want to thank everyone for joining us uh, this evening for our talk, Dugla in the 21st Century, Adding to the Mix with authors Sue Ann Barrett and Aliyah Ranjit Singh. Uh, tonight's talk is co-sponsored with the Borough of Manhattan Community College's Department of Race and Ethics Studies. Uh, to help introduce the chair of the department and to moderate the Q&A session uh, after the presentation is Professor Linda Varkis. So yes, as Anthony said, this is co-sponsored by the Borough of Manhattan Department of Ethnic and Race Studies. And we're hoping that this is the first in a series of once a semester series. And we're really excited um, that the first talk involves one of our faculty members. Um, so I just wanted to welcome everyone, and I'm going to pass it to Dr. Patricia Matthews, who's the chair of the department. Good evening, everybody, and thank you, Anthony and Linta, for the introductory remarks. It's really a pleasure for me as the chair of the new Department of uh, Ethnic and Race Studies at BMCC, Board of Manhattan Community College, to be here and to uh, be part of the of this series, thanks to the partnership with ARI, with the Association for Asian American uh, Research Institute, sorry. Uh, and uh, it gives me special pressure, pleasure to start with uh, inter uh, the presentation of this book by one of our um, dear uh, faculty, uh, and in our department. So I'm going to start. It's a pleasure to meet at least uh, virtually uh, Dr. Suan Barat. Um, Dr. Suan Barat is a lecturer and head at the Institute of Gender and Development Studies at the University of West Indies. Uh, she holds a BA in Media and Communication Studies. Uh, with political science, a master in communication. You have so many degrees that it was difficult for me to introduce them all here, but I'm trying to do it as, as uh, effectively as possible. And she earned her PhD in interdisciplinary gender studies. Her research areas are interpersonal interaction, human communication, human conflict, social media use and its implications, and gender and ethnic identities, mental health, and gender-based violence. All of them are very um, important uh, topics, and I look forward to listening to the presentation and getting the book. I hope that at the end you tell us how where to, uh, to get the book, and I'm going to also make sure that we have a copy in our library. Um, together with her uh, is Dr. Aliyah Rajinsin, She's a lecturer in Africana Studies at the Department, uh, sorry, at the Department of Africana Studies at Brooklyn College. And she's also an assistant actor, uh, adjunct professor with us at the at BMCC in our Department of Ethnic and Race Studies. We are very happy to, to have her uh, teach our courses for a, for a few years now. And um Professor Rajasin also holds a PhD in interdisciplinary studies from the Institute of Gender um, and Development Studies, IGDS, at the University of West Indies. Um, 
and she also holds an MA and BA degrees in political science from Brooklyn College. Her research areas are gender and politics in Latin America and the Caribbean, and also Latin American and Caribbean politics, obviously. She's also focused on African diaspora studies um, in reference, uh, uh, referring to groups that have migrated or are just diasporic in North America, Latin America, and the Caribbean. And uh, she also specializes in uh, gender and ethnic identities. Welcome you both. It's a pleasure and I look forward to the presentation. Thank you very much. us as we share our work. We are indeed pleased to be here and we look forward to your feedback at the end of our presentation and of course open discussion. Feel free to ask us any questions that come to mind. We must also thank Edward Harris Mudu who produced that video for us in 2014 when we were just at the beginning of our data collection phase having gathered photographs from early respondents who gave consent to share their images Edward, one of our research assistants at the time, prepared this to launch us into our first session of peer review, and that was at the Conference of the Caribbean Studies Association in New Orleans, United States that same year. He helped us to definitely announce our central research question, am I mixed enough? Good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I am Sue Ann Barrett, and this is my friend, my sister, my co-author, my colleague, Aliyah Ranjit Singh. And we are truly excited to share our book, Dogla in the 21st Century, adding to the mix. Indeed, we are looking forward to feedback on Dogla contemplations, narrations, explanations, theorizing of themselves and their experiences of the everyday and the extraordinary. To set the pace for this introduction to the book, of course, we do want you to get your very own personal copy, and we'll give you the link afterwards. We first outline our objectives for this evening's session. Mike, Aliyah. Yes, thank you so much, Suan. Our objectives this evening are as follows. We will outline our theory and our methodological process. We'll introduce key perspectives that are covered in the book. We will do selected readings from our text and speak through the Douglas through direct quotes. 
And we will engage in conversation about mixedness and juggleness in the Caribbean and the diaspora. With our objectives, as we have laid them out for you for this evening's session, let's just give you an overview of the methodology to produce the text. Our methodology was comparative and qualitative. We compared diaspora and homeland experiences to address a gap in Dogla literature. And of course, for grounding Dogla perspectives as most salient, we conducted a series of interviews, which included box pop interviews, individual interviews, focus groups, and social media interviews. A sample of 107 individual Dogla interviews were indeed conducted. We applied qualitative content analysis to our interpretation and analysis of their talk. Thank you so much, Sue. The methodology that we came to after years of work started with just a single kernel of thought in 2014. As I was finishing my PhD thesis, spending nights at the IGDS in St. Augustine with Suan and other colleagues, as she and I contemplated our central research question. Am I mixed enough? You see, the personal is political. I am Dougala. My mother is of African descent and my father is of Indian descent. And as long as I can remember, I have grappled with the notion of self, identity, and the ways that I wear blackness and Indianness on my body as not just mixed, but as mixed enough to claim Dogloness, particularly in the ways that my siblings have been able to claim it. So with our central research question, we began our work and our interviews with self-described Dogloners, who we understand as the experiencing subject. Through multiple conferences and consultation and critique that they offered, particularly the Caribbean Studies Association conferences held in New Orleans, Louisiana, here in the US, and Port-au-Prince, Haiti, we were able to refine our research and through collaborative data collection, interpretation and authorship, create this body of work whereby we have added to the scholarship on mixed race. We would therefore like to thank our research assistants, Gina Marie Granado, Edward Harris, Mutu and Nami Maria, uh, of course, for our beautiful book cover, Andre Price, and our, our, our IGDS colleagues, Dr. Gabriel Hussain, Professor Ruda Radock, Professor Patricia Mohammed. Dr. Fern Lewis Regis, our first editor, Vijay Shah, and the rest of the editorial team. And of course, I, I have to thank my colleagues at BMCC and also at Brooklyn College. Very much so, and we can remain so grateful for what was a lengthy but fulfilling process. And this was our guiding force that kept us focused and motivated. In terms of our conceptualizations and crafting our vision and focus of this book, we used as our substantive guide a theoretical framework that facilitated the interpretation of multiple intersecting knowledges, that is the subject, the data, and the field. First, we interpreted the subject through feminist standpoint theory, subscribing to a worldview that reality is not abstract, but rooted in the human condition, that absolutes and universal should be problematized and that knowledge is situated, local, communal, and mediated by power relations. Therefore, to articulate understandings of Dogla as a racialized ethnic identity, inevitably mediated by multiple social identities, such as gender, class, and nationality, we engage Dogla talk narratives, descriptions, explanations about their experiences. We also subscribe to the view that such knowledge is the product of critical consciousness, accomplished in communities with individuals recognizing shared patterns, 
and that Douglas who have spoken little, not at all, or have been spoken for by others can now elaborate their essentially marginalized view as they occupy inside or outsider positions in societies where they emerge. In addition, foregrounding the Douglas voice, talking interaction, embodiment, and expression of embodied meaning and context takes us to the philosophy of language, speech act theory, and performativity in particular. Within this framework, we also engage with theorization on the politics of embodiment, belonging, recognition, identification, and mythos frames of understanding. Through these frameworks, we can codify, interpret, and connect plausible meanings invoked by what Douglas say about the experience of their mixedness in the contemporary. And the chapters of the book speak to understandings of race, gender, bodies, space, belonging, and identity. The focus can be situated in multiple fields, including critical mixed race studies, Caribbean studies, Asian American studies, women and gender studies. So it's an interdisciplinary critical analysis that challenges understandings of race and ethnicity in Trinidad and Tobago and the Caribbean, interrogates negotiations and resistances to these understandings, underlines how gender and sexuality is at the heart of racial and ethnic constructs, and examines how the Dogla identity is maneuvered once it leaves the Caribbean space. To contemplate the Dogla in the contemporary is to situate the Dogla in the past. Herein lies our necessary historical contextualization. The Dogla emerged from the material, ideological, and, and linguistic conditions of the colonial Caribbean space, a distinctly post-colonial subject, a colonial invention whose relevance became apparent in a post-colonial moment. The Dogla emerged through the meeting and sexual unions between two peoples, the African and the Indian, two presumably pure ethnic groups who were transported to the Caribbean region by those who saw the trade of flesh as critical to economic prosperity in a time when sugar was gold. The Dogla found linguistic, cultural, social, and political meaning in especially Trinidad and Tobago, Guyana, and Suriname. And though it exists in other Caribbean spaces, it is within these three spaces that the term Dogla is most popular. Dogla emerged from the East Indian indentured laborer community's Bhojpuri dialects, and at the time of its emergence, its emergence, sorry, denoted crossbreed, cross-caste, outcast or out of caste, impure breed, hybrid, mongrel, bastard. But in its applied usage, the term is mostly descriptive. Such a construct of the Dogla continues to have some influence on understandings of Dogla identities and Dogla experiences today though contemporary usage is less pejorative. So from this origin story, Douglas have transcended language and the past and expanded through their expression of themselves, their own definitions of their identities. Douglas defined in three ways, biracial, respondents refer to themselves as a textbook Dogla or 50-50 Dogla, meaning that they were mixed with one presumably pure a parent of East Indian descent and one of African descent. Multiracial respondents describing themselves as Dogla, Kalaloo, or just mixed, where they were mixed with either a parent of African descent, Indian descent, or any other possible combination of mixedness in a space like Trinidad and Tobago. 
Then you had a phenotypical dogla. This is respondents explained that a mixed person is only dogla if mixed with Indian, as in South Asian Indian, which they are not this particular dogla, though they are often perceived as dogla based on looks and thus do not dispute the classification. This person is a mixed individual who only in phenotype presents as dogla and is called as such. This phenotypical dogla is significant because dogla cite this experience of mixedness as real in its consequences. In addition, this phenotypical dogla we assert is also demonstrative of how racialized ethnicity is either mapped onto or read from embodied physical characteristics, be they reliably reflective of lineage or not. Racialized ethnicity may just be as it appears, but its classifying effect is experienced as a very real category through which the mixed person in this case perceived as dogla lives. Already, it is clear that a dogla is a complicated ontology, which prompts us to ask a poignant question to those who live as dogla, depending on whether one is biracial, multiracial, or one just looks apart. How does one question one's sufficiency or enoughness as dogla? What a person is truly asking comes from a deep contention with belonging. The question, am I mixed enough, is a profound act of self-assertion. And Douglas responded to this question in multiple ways. We cite for you three core definitions of self stated by Douglas. These are, I am not an other, recognizing self as Douglas, and just Douglas. Listen to an excerpt from the book for an elaboration of one most assertive position. I am just Douglas. See quotes from the Douglas on the screen, which I will present, right, as I read these excerpts. Douglas and act self has always compound, always multiple and unique in their mixedness, disrupting notions that they should claim ethnic identity based on how their phenotype is interpreted, or that they should cling to or be loyal to a particular ethnic heritage. Their positioning adds to the Douglas testimony right, to reach this 2016 observations that in contemporary Trinidad and Tobago society, identification in strictly one ethnic group is difficult, especially as stereotypical interpretations of phenotype for classification, for classification are not reliable. Douglas resists the force of assertions by the other through their declaration of self as just Douglas. They resist pressure to identify with one of their parents more than the other because of how they look their cultural practices, religion, language, norms, rituals, et cetera, or their location, neighborhood within a Caribbean space like Trinidad or in the diaspora. It is one 28-year-old female who summarized the group perspective as she explained Dougal identity. She says, a Dougal is not an Indian Trinidadian mixed with African or an African Trinidadian mixed with Indian. It is not that. You are just Dougal. The force of her assertion rests in the word just, which in the English language emphasizes or restricts meaning, suggesting simply, exactly, absolutely, or only something and implying nothing more than that asserted. What Douglas do when they assert themselves as Douglas and nothing more or less is disrupting the notion of default, their African or black side being the default subject to modification and their Indian side or non-African admixture being the default that modifies. In this instance, they constitute their affiliation as grounded 
in many sides, experiencing self as a complex amalgam of all that can constitute a dogla, in turn challenging essentialized notions of race and ethnicity. Therefore, Douglas' assertion of themselves as mixed need not be subject to clarification, even when their phenotypical features are completely ambiguous or suggest membership in a particular ethno-racial group. As two 40-year-old female, females explained, such inquiry makes little sense to them as to be mixed is just a given. So female one, there are instances where people try to figure out what I am. And I find that difficult to understand because why would you want to figure out what somebody is? Female two, you are Trinidadian, first of all. You mixed, female one, you mixed. Their 28-year-old female peer also asserted that mixedness should simply be recognized for what it is. She says, I don't agree with it. I mean, if you mixed, you mixed. You can't say, well, I'm African, I'm more African or I'm African because I look more African. If you mixed, you mixed. So you would probably be immersed in all these different cultures, gaining these understandings and appreciations and so on. I think it's very fulfilling and it's just really amazing. So I would not recommend, recommend to claim just anyone because you look like one. If you mixed, you are mixed. Appreciate it for what it is. A 31-year-old male explained how he maneuvers self through language, reinforcing his mixedness through his deliberate identification as Douglas. So he says, I put it out there saying I'm a dogola. I don't expect to be treated any differently, but the same way, just as if you would identify with something because I don't identify particularly with African or Indian or what have you. I mean, I take part in all the celebrations and stuff. I have my kurta, I have a dashiki, I have this, that, the other. I will go to all these events and stuff, but I don't particularly identify with the group. If anybody asks, I say, I don't know what boat I came on. I just know I hear. Thus, Douglas resists questions such as, what are you? Evaluating such questions as irrelevant or tiresome. For example, one 31-year-old female asserted, I don't see the importance of it. You are what you are. You can't force someone to fit your mold of how you should look. So they center the liminality, multiplicity, fluidity, self-integration, and self-creation of new multiracial identity theories and new Mesozahe theories discussed by Turner 2014. Douglas asserts their just Douglaness as paramount and insists that they should not have to explain themselves or their identification. According to one 26-year-old female, my struggle is always, so what I what you really is? Because I never wanted to explain. I don't think we should have to explain who we are. Douglas and the contemporary reflect well the new multiracial identity discussed by Turner 2014 because they insert their survey identity as having multiple points of reference, but no circumference because it manifests itself inside the boundary, itself under boundary, I'm sorry, just Douglas. At the same time, they differ from this new multiracial identity because as we discussed in chapter three, once they apply the label Dogla, their mixedness to a degree takes on predictable parameters in that their bodies, even if they, in, even if encompassing multiple ethno-racial groups, must bear evidence of both Indianness and Africanness, with enough marking by Indianness to be sufficiently mixed. Ultimately, though, Douglas take as obvious a self that references Ortega's 2008 multiplicious subjectivity 
in the incorporation into self of multiple norms, practices, beliefs, cultures, ethnic slash racial views, understandings, values, and negotiating the inconsistency of these, though not as fragmented, but as complex yet cohesive. Reminding us of the experiences of Douglas who live in the diaspora in New York City, Douglas who travel outside of their home space explain that feeling, what are you, questions, is most common to the experience with the, perspective, with the perceptions of others outside of their Caribbean homeland space. A 29-year-old um, male evaluated such questions as reflective of an expected identification. He says, in London, America, and Scotland, people kept asking, what are you? They expected you to identify as just one thing or the other, to identify as Black. Once you have one drop of Black in you, you Black. Once you he was more than a sheet, sheet of paper, you Black. His 22-year-old female peer also recognized this expectation and expressed her rejection of it. There is this need to claim one thing, and I've never agreed with it because I feel like that's moving backwards and not necessarily moving forward. For Douglas, such expectations do not hold true to their just Douglaness because they occupy an alternate space where they translate, negotiate, and transgress rigid binary racial categories, existing not as half of two things, but as a whole new entity that is not reducible to its components. As one 28-year-old female explained, there's need for understanding of Douglas complexity. And she says, I think a lot of people have a difficulty in conceptualizing someone so mixed. And I don't think that that is only for Douglas, but I think the Caribbean person having a history of such mixedness to other people outside of the Caribbean, it's a bit difficult to conceptualize and accept and they just wouldn't get it. Without such an understanding, such questioning remains myopic and a symptom of a lack of cultural intelligence. As one 22-year-old male explains, he says, so is what you have been socialized to understand. People have a black or white mentality. So if that's your approach, then I understand why they say that with ignorance. Ignorance, I would call it. They call you just black. You black because they are not taking the time to understand the microclimate. You're not getting to see the breakdown of what actually makes us what we are. Douglas positioning of self contributes not only their nuanced experience of mixedness, but also an understanding of mixedness that is whole in its ethno-racial complexity, never reducible to its parts. Through their language, they assert mixedness as a standalone, delinked from parent ethno-racial groups in acknowledgement of its unique significance, but also linked to parent groups in an acknowledgement of its genesis. Douglas' assertion of mixedness as an unambiguous and autonomous and thus without need for constant clarification is a contemporary enlightenment. As part of this enlightenment, they reflect a contemporary shift in the perception of their values disrupting notions of their identity as taboo, insignificant, or threatening, which Regis 2016 explains were always in some way salient to their interpretation. Good, and Regis explains, there's always been a marked ambivalence towards the Douglas. In Trinidad, where being of mixed ancestry is sometimes looked upon as the characteristic of the true native, Douglas in general still wear the stigma associated with the mutual aversion shared by some Africans and Indians. 19th century attitudes toward Douglas still informed thinking from some Indians. 
The Douglas who enacted themselves through their identifications distanced themselves from inheritance by declaring that they are just Douglas. Their self-labeling does more than, than enact identity. It also enacts resistance, especially to the perceptions that seek to interpret them as tied to a particular ethno-racial heritage or as insufficient or not mixed enough to claim mixedness. Douglas by no means see themselves as defined by the view of the other or the reflected appraisal, appraisals of their racialized ethnicity, as cited, of course, in Canada 2004. Asserting themselves at that stage of integration, featured by a sense of wholeness and valuing of all components of self. This is the final stage of multiracial ethnic identity development, according to the variant approach taken by some theorists, such as Sheehan Sanchez, Herman, etc. As Rages Twen 2006 suggests, their assertions serve as evidence of a new social attitude. It is from this position that Douglas insists that their ethnic identifications be treated as legitimate, insisting that their Douglas identity must be accounted for officially. Indeed, Aliyah, not only do Douglas contend with their sufficiency, but they also contend with varying discourses of racialized ethnicity that complicate who and how they can be. We introduce the concept of maneuvering as an explanatory tool to elaborate the Douglas standpoint that frames our text. Their standpoint is not only unique in its contemporary accounting, it, is also, it also adds to the mix through its viewpoint from the diaspora, contemplating Douglas experiences at the point of encounter with other societies. New York City in particular, and the strategic engagements that such encounters prompt in response to varying discourses of racialized ethnicity. Thus, we situate our theorizing in a context where Dogla does not signify the easily interpreted as it does in Caribbean homeland spaces where popular. Instead, we purposefully theorize the tense experience of the contemporary Dogla in a space where meaning can be disrupted dismissed or challenged, if not found so entropic to be deemed irrelevant. Conceptually, we use maneuvering as a descriptive and explanatory tool that summarizes how Douglas contemplate their experience of mixedness outside of their homeland. We define maneuvering as a performative act. It is a meaning-making process enacted by those who live the in-betweenness of mixedness, giving them a site for recognizable connection. This repeated action is performed in order to situate self in compliance with or in resistance to the state of in-betweenness and belonging. So this concept of maneuvering encodes a framework for understanding a complex, dynamic, ongoing enactment of agency and choice, as well as inevitable response to the compelling force of racializing discourses. It gives meaning to Douglas contention with the coercive force of mechanisms that produced race, racialized and categorized, as well as value and assign degrees of privilege, empowerment or advantage. It also facilitates exploration of the possible implications of encounters with racial systems and definitions as they vary across countries considering particularly how, when the Dogla enters the United States, for example, as cultural context of reference, that Dogla encounters a racial system built on a rigid black-white binary, structuring whiteness as supreme and exclusive and blackness as absorbent and other. 
The dogla, the spying self in a space where not being understood, experiences attempts to identify and evaluate oneself legitimately as dogla, as further complicated by an alternative system of racial categorization. Kazanitz, for example, reminds us that historically the United States has exhibited a highly unusual system of racialized categorization that contrasts deeply with the way race is conceptualized in the rest of the Americas. All persons of any known or discernible African ancestry, regardless of somatic characteristic, are considered Black and have been subject to all of the racial and legal disadvantages that uh, implies. Due to the rule of hypodescent, which has informed the one-drop rule in the U.S. space and also ascribed Blackness to those who are mixed with Black, the Dogla, while afforded recognition as one example of mixedness in Caribbean spaces, may be denied such in the U.S. space. Consequently, based on characteristics which define Douglas, as we discuss in the chapter two and three of our text, these individuals maneuver the ontological significance of their mixed bodies. And they also maneuver specifically racialized discourses of blackness and mixedness with meanings that do not resonate with those normative in their Caribbean homeland space. The varying systems, definitions, discourses of race, and situations of encounter, as we discussed in our introductory chapter of the text, are key to the design of our study of contemporary Dogla lives. Maneuvering is a deliberate and precise conceptualization that most closely reflects what we assert as a strategic, meaning-making, performative action that engages racialized ethnicity as real in its consequences for the mixed that is, Dogla. While Doglas may negotiate, confront, or respond to interpretations of the ontology, the bargaining, challenging, or answering that these ideas suggest individually actually happens simultaneously for the Dogla. Therefore, maneuvering allows for accounting for all these acts while also articulating Dogla engagement as decidedly strategic, reflecting strategic moves that mediate self-talk efficient interaction and connections, translation of meaning and interpretations by the other, and recognizability or unrecognizability. Maneuvering may occur as a move to a racial system or definitions and discourses, and or a move away from these, and or a move within these. It may have varying effects on the self or on interaction, depending on the body that maneuvers and the context of maneuvering. Significantly though, it conceptually adds to the mix by revealing the nuance of mixedness as it is experienced by an individual who does not invent meaning through their embodiments, but rather by one who maneuvers a meaningful body in context. This we elaborate through the perspective of Douglas living in New York City at the time of interviewing and discussing their maneuverings as acts of meaning making or remaking as it will. As Douglas speak about their selfhood, their experiences as mixed, and their perception of how their bodies have been interpreted by others, they express a shared position that their bodies have multiple meanings, be they located within or outside of the Caribbean. Bodies are the text upon which racialized ethnicity is written, and space and place are the context of interpretation. Bodies also shift and change, embodying and expressing these shifts and changes. 
Frazier and Greco remind us that it is commonplace now not to refer to the body, but bodies in the plural, to recognize that there is no body as such which is given and fixed for all time. And to recognize also that experiences rooted in different forms of embodiment may be radically incommensurable. In this way, bodies are embedded means, and such meanings are not fixed for all time. So that while the Dogla body elicits one set of meanings in the Caribbean, the Dogla body outside of this space or situated in the Caribbean diaspora elicits another set or an additional set of meanings, experiences, and as we assert, maneuvering. Maneuvering by the Dogla doesn't have to be a necessary act, nor does it have to be compelled by socioeconomic status, gender, and physical appearance or ways, as may be the case for other mixed persons, uh, studied by other scholars like Doyle and Cow, Brown, and others. Through different projects, these scholars explore mixedness with a similar focus, attending to the relationship between malleable racial identification and psychological well-being, especially among multiracial persons in the United States. Maneuvering, as it is uniquely enacted by Douglas, is an ability to strategically respond, to exercise choice and agency in terms of how meanings about self and body will shift to, away from, or within systems and understandings of racialized ethnicity. Dogla talk about the experiences constitute maneuvering as a practice and experience of mixedness that attends to not just the ability to do so or to choose to do so when compelled, but it reflects an internal process one of critical self-reflection and transformation. Douglas find meanings in their own bodies in relation to and outside of social meanings ascribed to their bodies. They maneuver to, within, and away from discourses and practices, both own and those of other people. When Douglas find themselves the subject of inquiry, appraisal, and evaluation, they maneuver to seek recognition or sometimes misrecognition of self in other. Maneuvering thus is an enactment of skillful and deliberate meaning making that has force in its expression, an expression that is deployed not only repeatedly but routinely with each situation and encounter. Thus, we situate its operability as a concept in relation to speech act theory and performativity, theories that structure overall theoretical framework and that are invoked and applied throughout this text to unpackage multiple enactments and experiences discussed by Douglas. Within their language used and the content of their talk, Douglas assert particular racialized discourses that they maneuver to within and away from in their experiences of mixedness in the diaspora. These we have coded as discourses of defaults, ambiguities, privileges, and consciousness. The first performance of maneuvering as a practice and experience of mixedness that we theorize is maneuvering default. The default referred to here is blackness. Blackness is the, is the default modified by indigenous, which qualifies mixedness. Douglas maneuvered this relationship between default and modifier in Caribbean homeland spaces. They also maneuver similarly in the US context where with this particular set of racialized discourses, they tend to maneuver to and within the default, blackness or Africanness, rather than to or within the modifier, ingenious or ingenious and other. And one female respondent in her late 20s 
who is often read as Black or African-American, explained her maneuvering in New York City. Self-identification, she says, I describe myself as Black American of Caribbean heritage. The conditions, she said, I'm forcibly seen as Douglas or mixed because of my dark skin. And my hair is questioned. I am not light-skinned or red or brown-skinned, and I do not have curly hair texture. My hair is locked. A male respondent in his early 30s expressed how he maneuvers self-identification. He said, yes, I'm Black. The conditions, when my hair was longer, people would look at it and ask if I'm mixed. But with no hair, people think I'm Black because, well, I'm not white. A female respondent in her mid to late 30s expressed how she maneuvers conditions. My father's Indian and my mother is Black, but I don't have the Douglas hair. My hair is curly, but not Indian curly. So I usually relax my hair and wear it that way. Because of that, people just assume I'm Black. And I accept that. Her self-identification, she stated, I am Black in the U.S., but when I go home to Trinidad and Tobago, I can be Douglas. So the Douglas continue to maneuver, and they maneuver ambiguity. The Dogla, whose embodiment affords more than maneuverability to and within Blackness, maneuvers this ambiguity. So Douglas also maneuver within ambiguity, where even when their body wears nakedness, they deploy the same discourse of the default. One female respondent in her late 30s or early 40s, who explained that she was often called Shade while in college because she reminded her peers of the popular mixed Nigerian-born British singer-songwriter, she stated... I embrace it, being Dogla. It affords me the opportunity professionally to move through different worlds and be accepted by different worlds. Sometimes the assumption is based on the look. As a Dogla, you are a mix of looks and you can manipulate that look. You have to manipulate that look. It is a plus, especially for women and for advancement. It can be used to appear less black. The darker you are, the more underestimated you are in your career and your everyday life. Not just in America, but in the Caribbean too. So one day I can be the nice little Indian girl, the next day the nice little Spanish girl, and the next day the nice little Jewish girl. A male respondent in his early 30s, using a similar choice of language, can be, talking about this potential, points to the possibilities that give way to his active fluidity. It just really depends, he says, I can be mixed half-white Spanish or just light-skinned. With my Trini friends, I can either be Dogla or the Red Man. The next, of course, um, in terms of maneuvering that we discuss is maneuvering privilege. The Douglas body marked by visible mixedness can be experienced as a privilege. One 26-year-old female respondent explained further, right? She said, I would just, I would just be mixed, but abroad I was read as black. There was no, there were no ifs and ands or buts about that. I would get in the North, the US and Canada. Like people would ask, where are you from? Or what are you in general? Like black Americans and Canadians would ask me if I was mixed with anything sometimes. But I definitely felt I was more black than anything. But that consciousness took a while because of years of convent and years of mixed privilege in Trinidad. It didn't hit me until like months four or five that people were treating me a certain way because I was black. I was like, oh, I'm Black. This is why. Wow, this is funny. I didn't realize before, but now I know that I'm Black because in Trinidad, you can exist as mixed and Black. And there's privilege 
and being mixed. Indeed, and just for those of you who would have never heard of convent in Trinidad, we have high schools that are considered prestigious and they are tied to the colonial part and color class hierarchies. And so she would have gone to a convent school. Continuing with this discussion of maneuvering, Douglas maneuver consciousness. Douglas consciousness can mediate mixedness as a political experience tied to other social identities like religion and social projects like the Caribbean Black Power Movement. Their consciousness as Caribbean post-colonial embraces a consciousness of their ancestry. One example of converging consciousness and maneuvering within and beyond that consciousness is evident in one female respondent's explanation of how she self-identifies. In her late 20s, she was born in the United States and has studied and traveled throughout the Caribbean. She explained that while she's understood as Dogla in the Caribbean, and people often view her as mixed in the diaspora, in the United States, she sees herself as a Black woman. She affirms this as her political Blackness. As she says, I moved to Long Island, New York when I was six. I didn't have much explaining there because people were already aware of Indo-Caribbean people. So I was regarded as a mixed person without having to announce myself in that way. When the questioning came is when I went to college. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, which has a large Caribbean population, but not many Indo-Caribbean students. To my knowledge, there were several mixed people, myself and two other women, and then one woman who simply identified as Indo-Guyanese. So people would ask me about my last name. Some people who were aware of Indo-Caribbeans would just refer to me as mixed. But because of the ways that Caribbean Americans, African Americans, and West Africans in particular were converging in this educational space, sometimes there were conflicting ideas about how to recognize me as mixed. Some subscribed to the one-drop rule, but would accuse me of making up my racial background or asking me to account in particular ways, like show me pictures of your family. So in the US, I identify as a mixed black woman to account for my political blackness and the complexities of my Caribbeanness. Along with the assertion of self and the theorizing of their actions we have shared with you, we leave you to contemplate some of the challenges our double respondents confront and have confronted in their daily lives. Our first challenge is political affiliation. Um, and in terms of, you know, what a respondent, you know, would have, you know, shared with us with regards to such a challenge, one 21-year-old male stated, being a Douglas in Trinidad is also kind of difficult because of the choices, like in terms of politics. Well, my parents, my mom is African and my dad is Indian. So it's like, who are you voting for? You're voting PNM, right? Of course, PNM here is one of the major political parties in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, which is largely supported by the Afro-Trinidadian populace, right, the People's National Movement. I, I continue with the quotes. And this other side would, would be like, you're voting for UNC, right? Of course, UNC is the, 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 the next um, major political party, right, in Trinidad and Tobago. And we see large support by the Indo-Trinidadian um, populace. So you are always like in the middle. You never really have like a say. Um, one of our other respondents, said, my father's Indian and he supports the UNC. And my mother is African and she supports the PNM. So election time in my house is a lot of excitement. My siblings and I are always caught in the middle in these debates with my parents. 
Along with political affiliation, a challenge that Douglas faces hypersexualization. One 26 year old female recounts her encounter with such expectations and her associated feelings of disbelief, confusion, and annoyance. There is this guy who literally told me, he's like, he's standing there and he's looking at my hair and he's like, use a Douglas, you know, you would make nice children, you know? So you're mixed with Indian. You know, what did they say about the Indian girls too? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do they say about Indian girls? And he literally told me, yeah, Indian girls, well, they're nice and wet, referring to vaginal lubrication. So, you know, you have all that too. And I'm like, why would you tell me this? But he was dead serious. He looking at, at it as, oh, you know, so she have Indian in her, so she has these Indian qualities and she have African in her, so she has these African qualities. Another respondent, a male this time, he says, one of the comments that I usually get is you and your bag a girl or you and your bag set of women. And another male is like, right, yes, he's agreeing. And a female says that you could pick up real chicks with your dobler self. Yeah, exactly, the guy says. That's how it always is. It's like, boy, you see if boy, you could get through with that. Don't worry, go strong, right? And the other male is agreeing, yes, the expectation is that you have access to women. And male one continues, if it is not that is, where's the scene wet man? Wet man is a colloquialism to refer to a young male of working class who uh, just grabs the attention of a lot of women. He's a, a player with flair. Oh gosh, the female says, don't even have a teeter. Oh, important to the wet man, he drives a particular brand of Nissan vehicle. If it is not that, eh, link me on this girl now, boy. I don't know. You have all them girls. I know you're talking to all these girls. Link me. So you find yourself a matchmaker. Essentially, this conversation summarizes the expectation that the male is not only um, has great sexual prowess, important to masculinity in the Caribbean, but he can be a matchmaker too and builds his reputation amongst men in the Caribbean. Another challenge as voiced by our Douglas respondents is contentious phenotype. In this instance, hair is the most prominent and frequently referenced phenotypical marker of Douglas mixedness. And of course, there's an entire chapter, right, on hair in our text. Two males in conversation discuss, of course, the complexity of hair. So male one, he says, I was never one who believed in texturizing and stuff. Or of course, texturizing, you know, one's hair. When people tell me that nonsense, I'd be like, no, I'm not doing that at all. I'm good with my hair as is. It don't need to be straighter. It don't need to be curlier. It's good just as is, right? Because for them, they would be more dugger. Male two says, they want perfect curls, male one. And I used to find that so weird, but I guess I understand it. Male two, just like how my hair curly, they want it to be like without the frizzy. Male one, hmm. And even I had a friend who he used to texturize his hair and I didn't know that. I had known him for more than a year or something. And he one day, he told me I texturized my hair. And I was like, what? Cause he fair skin somewhat and stuff. And I just always believed that his hair was that texture not knowing that he was texturizing. So when I found out about this whole texturizing thing I was just baffled by it. And I used to be like, why people would do that? Why are you not happy with your own thing? I was just baffled by it. And I used to be like, why people would do that? Why are you not happy with your own thing? 
indeed and Leah, the politics of here is real, especially as it confronts the just Dogla definition we described earlier. So finally, raising a Dogla child presents a challenge if you're a parent of a Dogla child. And it's very poignant for the Douglas who spoke about this challenge. As they assert, watch the language that you use when you're addressing certain things in front of a child. So like how my grandmother, this is the speaker referring to an experience that he had. His grandmother would have said the thing about don't bring home, don't bring home no hard head tulum. That's a pejorative statement to refer to somebody of African descent who has tightly curled or tightly textured hair. You would have seen how that resonated with me and that it actually impacted on some of my choices until later down, I kind of broke away from that. So you have to be mindful of what you say, this 31-year-old says. Another says, um, like, why I don't look like daddy or why I don't look like mommy? That there are some serious questions that you would have to answer and ensure that you do so that your child's identity is not discriminated and that they feel that they have their own little space, their own little space. Because at the end of the day, they still want to be able to identify with their mother and their father individually, though they are the Dogla product. As much as I'm Dogla female who's 28 says, I'm all for everybody doing whatever they want. If that is the sole purpose though, of you wanting to mix with somebody and not for love, perish the thought, she says perish the thought, because Douglas lack a lot of love. How their parents come together is probably, you know, somebody was experimenting or he was curious, but to bring home to mommy and daddy is a big, big challenge. So if that's the sole purpose of why you want to be with that East Indian girl, I couldn't accept it. Yes, thank you so much, Sue. So now that you're in contemplation, now our quota. For our book, Built on Narratives from the Standpoint of Douglas as They Live in the Contemporary, we end with a coda, our final word in the story of mixedness beyond the Black-White binary. To do this, we return to our starting position, reasserting the vision for our exploration of Douglas in the 21st century and restating our central thesis. The vision for our book remains to not only add the Douglas voice to an ever unfolding literature and mixedness, and to add that voice as a variation from the standard black-white binary, but to use a contemporary Douglas narrative to account for the nuanced and complicated experience that is mixedness, to remind the reader that their personal might well be political or apolitical or somewhere in between. Our summary in this concluding chapter right, of our text reminds the reader that Douglas exists in a perpetually contradictory space a human who just wants to be without pressures of their supposed symbolic significance, be they perceived as a positive or negative symbol. We have given Douglas a chance to speak their own truth as they live it. For our exploration of contemporary Douglas experiences, we purposely deployed the unmarked mixed and mixedness to incorporate the multiple dimensions of race and ethnicity, racial, cultural, linguistic, that are ontologically relevant and significant for mixed people, Douglas in particular. The text explored two themes in chapters three, four, and five of our, of our text. We explored as our first theme, right, um, um, the tensions and interpretations of embodied meanings, right, that can be brought to experiences of mixedness. And in chapters seven and eight, we explored as our second theme, the mediating power of particular embodied elements of phenotype. 
So with this vision and through these thematic explorations, we are able to argue that the dogla exists as a maneuvering subject, both in the Caribbean homeland and in a select region of the diaspora in the global north. We argue that this maneuvering subject based on origin and experiences speaks outside of the dominant black-white dichotomous framework of mixedness and disrupts presumption of race-ethnic significance and the socio-political categories that function as defaults and modifiers of mixed bodies. The study that informed this book contends that Dogla racialization and identification presents a nuanced experience of mixedness. The experience is shaped by Caribbeanness and its own racial and ethnic classifications, identities, and meaning. Douglas occupy their racialized ethnicity as perpetually nuanced, complex, competing, and negotiated as a project of selfhood, a project that is implicated in social relations of power. Yeah, so coming out of our, of, of our project, sorry, we ask you to consider the following assertions. One, Douglas as a Caribbean-rooted categorization affords a language of articulation that encompasses the complexities and realities of people who are mixed beyond the Black-White binary. And two, Dogla, as we have argued, creates a site for recognizable connection for successfully interpreting different experiences and for sharing understanding based on knowing self as a constantly maneuvering subject. What do we mean? We assert that mixedness is a shared ontology made recognizable not only genotypically and phenotypically, but by the distinct experience of in-betweenness that persists for all who are mixed race. We argue that the act of recognizing selves and others, of understanding different experiences of mixedness, rests not only in realizing the shared state of being, but more crucially in the active management of selves invoked by this state of being, what we conceptualize as maneuverability. We welcome your thoughts. We sure do. <laughs> and before we hear them, we'd like to you know, say a special thank you to Professor Matthews, right, the Chair of the Department of Ethnic and Race Studies at BMCC, Dr. Linda Vargas, right, Assistant Professor in the Department of Ethnic and Race Studies, who along with Dr. Sonia Munshi, Associate Professor in the Department, and other amazing directors from our, our CUNY community college system, right? Also developed the Building Asian American Studies across the community college classroom program and facilitated my participation, right? In that program, granting me space to present this research when it was in its initial stages. Our heartfelt thanks to Anthony Wong, program coordinator of the Asian American and Asian Research Institute at CUNY, who along with Dr. Vargas put this book talk in motion in record time. And of course, there are so many others to thank, but the list is so long. So we say a big thank you to everyone. We now, of course, you know, open the floor to questions. Yeah, thank you for that um, really great talk. There's so much to think about. Um, I have some questions, but I would love to hear what other folks have to say. So I think we can do both. Um, folks can put it in the Q&A chat box. And then uh, if you want, you can raise your hand and ask in 
not in person. We can hear you ask your question too. Um, I actually had a question about methodology. It was so, um, it was amazing that you had 107 people that you interviewed, was that right? And I was so curious to know how you found your participants because the way that you talk about this identity um, it seems in the public sphere like so kind of predetermined. So how would how did you find your participants? How did you establish trust with them? I was so curious as a researcher, all those those kind of questions. But how is it that we engage communities that are often spoken for? Um, excellent question. Thank you so much. Uh, of course, what we did in Trinidad and Tobago, Dogo is well recognized and people know the look. So the first thing we did, we went to malls across Trinidad and Tobago. I went with an assistant who is a dogla herself. And, um, and we just went up to people and asked them how they identified if they were dogla. And most people were very willing. We went north, west, east, and south. And that kind of covered a broad range. And following that, we also engaged people through social media. We sent out invitations and said, if you identify as mixed, and then ask people to identify how they would describe their mixedness. And from there, we then deduce who would be identifying themselves as Dogla. So we wouldn't say someone is Dogla unless they, they claim it to, to be so. And this is how we discover that, you know, people are not necessarily biracial. They're more so multiracial um, to a large part. And from there, we then started to have focus groups where we invited people who were recruited through, again, advertising, and they agreed, we contacted them, and they came to either in Trinidad or in um, New York City, and they sat with us and had conversations and shared snacks and talked and so forth, and they were very willing to share because they wanted to have an opportunity to actually talk about a taken-for-granted reason that was so historically normative but so many presumptions were made, and that's how we recruited them. Dennis Bailey asks, is the Douglas social and political hierarchy the same in Trinidad as it is in Guyana and to a lesser extent, Jamaica? Um, that's a very good question. Um, Jamaica, Douglas doesn't find as much affinity in, in Jamaica. It's not a common um, a categorization or identification. The hierarchy is very similar in Guyana in terms of where you are placed and the in-betweenness and the struggles that take place. If one is Dogla, of course, the other admixture would vary based on how that population is configured ethnically. Um, but the same, similar, not the same, similar dynamic um, applies. Yeah, hi. Um, this was fantastic. I really appreciate it. Um... My question is, how does uh, religious identification or affiliation intersect with sort of Dogla identity and how uh, Dogla's sort of maneuver and negotiate space and identity, given that, generally speaking, uh, Afro-Trinidadians tend to be uh, Christian, whereas Indo-Trinidadians still tend to be largely Hindu and to some extent Muslim? Um, the, the, those Douglas who are able to maneuver um, religion in terms of religious spaces and practices are often those Douglas who are, you know, more ambiguously mixed, right? They're mixed enough to maneuver, right, um, in that way. It also has to do with, you know, just personal experience in terms of, you know, family relationships and, you know, which family members on which side, you know, accommodate and accept um, the Douglas subject, right, um, in that way. But we do see, we did see particularly um, 
in our interviews, right? Uh, many Douglas who spoke about, you know, this, this maneuvering, right? Um, particularly um, with regards to religious spaces, right? Um, in that way that it was just really a matter of manipulating the body, right? So mani manipulating the look or, you know, maybe putting on one of the interviews we read um, that one male responded, he said that he has a kurta, he has a dashiki, right? He's able to, you know, just by manipulating the body, the, you know, the, the, the clothing, the wear is able to move, you know, between these spaces. But um, he's also, you know, again, mixed enough, right? He's ambiguous, ambiguously mixed enough to, you know, to be able to move, you know, within and throughout these spaces. So, and you can add. Yes, what I would add is that along with, let's say, entering into space, let's say uh, Diwali Nagar, as they cited, or temple or church or mosque, Mm -hmm. They also maneuver religion and cultural practice, as we found and as Fulundu and Rajiz found, through cultural practices and, and rituals. So one would have, would be deeply engaged in prayers at home, or they would be deeply engaged in other processes, other cultural elements, food and language and traditions from all sides of their family, as they spoke about. So essentially, the Dogla finds himself always situated in a space. So for example, real example, Diwali just went. And I mean, a lot of people in Trinidad partake, but if you're a Dogla in particular, living in a highly mixed neighborhood, you will then be going everywhere. You might have gone to All Saints for, for the Catholic celebration on Sunday. And then as you're preparing for Diwali, you go and you light up and you make the food and you go to prayers by your family. So it is not true for every single family because, as Aliyah said, some family relations are less accommodating. But where accommodation is existing, usually a dogla emerges, as they said, it's a complex cultural experience that then contributes to their understanding of their identity. Yeah, and I, you know, I, you know, myself as an example, growing up in, you know, as a dogla, right? I grew up in a Christian Hindu. Um, Muslim household, everything was all together. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, my mother raised us Christian. So, you know, I would attend church on Sunday. That was very much the rule. But in mornings, I would say prayers with my Muslim, my, my Muslim grandmother, right? I was telling one of my classes yesterday, actually, about, you know, having a, a tasbi, right? The Muslim prayer piece. I had yep. my own tasbi, you know, um, mm. You know, you know, saying the prayers, right? Every evening I had my own prayer mat, you know, um, and I can still recite, you know, some some of the, you know, the prayers in, in Arabic. But then also, you know, at, at the Wali time going to that side of the family, because my family, you know, we're, you know, we're a set of people who break taboos. <laughs> so my Muslim grandmother married a Hindu man and then, you know, my Indian father married a black woman. So we break taboos, right? <laughs> or create the taboos, depending on how you look at it. So that was my experience, right? Being able to, you know, maneuver these spaces because of the accommodation, um, you know, by both sides of my families, even though I do not think that I am ambiguously mixed enough <laughs> to, you know, to maneuver spaces in that way. Yes. Great question. Um, so Merlene had written her question in the box also, in the Q&A box. Um, so she writes, from my understanding, if you're a Dugla, you are um, born out of trial and error. If you call colonialism trial and error. Uh, um, <laughs> yes. Ali, what do you think? 
That's a really good, um, interesting way to put it, right? Trial and error. Um, I mean, the, the juggler would have only emerged, right? Because of, you know, the processes of colonialism, right? These multiple peoples being brought, right? For that one economic activity on the plantation, right? And they were very much kept separate, right? On the plantation, right? But, you know, the mixing did very much happen. And, you know, even that term juggler, you know, as we just, discussed, you know, in the book and in our presentation, right, emerging from the Bujpuri dialect, right, um, its denotations very much speak to, you know, the purity of Indianness becoming impure, you know, by, by Blackness. So trial, error, <laughs> maybe error, <laughs> considering the error, right, on, you know, by, by some, right, on, you know, in, in some parts, right, um, in that way, but definitely, um, you know, Sue spoke about colonialism as the the era <laughs> yeah, yeah i would say exactly. it's confronting era and the trials that it brought yes mm -hmm. well actually yes my sound is on um there is a question maybe you can expand on a point that you made asking how much does the detritus of british colonialism play into this well, yeah, Dogla um, is a post-colonial subject. And, you know, and the, this, the complexity that we speak of comes out in the troubling of what is pure and how that purity is presumed, how separation would have occurred and why, why there were, was one such a negative connotation and how that has shifted over time to a more positive or, let's say, um, neutral uh, representation. Uh, colonialism then bred a kind of a life that had to emerge as significant from a past that denied that significance but couldn't, not, couldn't deny its presence. So it's always infused, it always influences how we interpret race. And though we say we speak outside of the Black-White binary, we are always adjacent to it. We're speaking in an Indian African um, binary, but we are accompanied by this black white binary. Aliyah? Mm -hmm. um, no, I completely agree with you. I don't think, you know, there's nothing to add there. Um, definitely a post colonial subject. Uh, um, Patricia, did you want to ask your question? I think there's one, uh, one more question in the chat, but oh, yeah. I was going to give you the floor for a sec. I appreciated the, the methodology that you have used. I feel that there is rich ethnography in uh, the accounts that you have presented. Uh, and they really came to life uh, to me. Um, at the same time, I know that your focus is in, in the Caribbean and the diaspora to North America. And I couldn't keep my mind uh, away from the people in the Birmingham school for those, you know, Stuart Hall and Paul Gilroy thinking about this triangle of race, ethnicity, and nationalism. And I see that you're trying to move uh, 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 sort of uh, provide uh, 
thick description of these identities in, uh, uh, in uh, I'm constantly interested in trying to see which one prevails in what moment, uh, if it's nationalism in some moment over ethnicity, in other moment uh, over race, essentialized, uh, especially in contraposition to those who, who migrate to the U.S. and encounter that that dichotomy is uh, so much stronger. Uh, I think that the last example from Aliyah is just so powerful, uh, so, so inspirational, that one of your own family, that I think it should be the future, the, the possibility that you can integrate those religious identities into into. Uh, whatever you want. I mean, that's, isn't that part of identity anyway, to be multidimensional and, but also situational. Allow me be Muslim if I want to be Muslim today. And maybe this evening I can be Hindu, but why should I just give up my possibilities of practicing everything at the same time? So I look in the future at this, but at the same time, I also, I try to think of the, political impact of these uh, choices and also the connection to other colonial uh, colonized um, peoples like Hispanics or Latin American is I, I think of um, of Jose de Vasconcelo as a Mexican uh, philosopher writer who wrote the cosmic race in the beginning of the 20th century thinking that the mixed race was really the source of uh, you know the power the future and I also think of what you guys said about the politics, how people expect you just by making a decision of how you look, they expect you who you are going to vote. Don't we do that also here in this country, expecting either Asian Americans or Hispanics to have a vote only to realize that it's much more complex in the end. But these are all illusions uh, and at the same time, specific choices of people. So in the end, I realized that I don't have a specific question, but maybe you have several things that you could say about this. And my only question that I had uh, at one point was if anybody, any Dugla or any other uh, person in, in, in the places you've done your research uh, feels the need to, to use DNA technologies in order to legitimize their identity choice at some point? Uh, did they go to 23andMe or Ancestry.com? It's just a thought. Thank you very much. I've been excited. I was supposed to leave 15 minutes ago, <laughs> but uh, it's been very exciting for me to be here. Uh, thank you so much, um, Patricia. Um, in terms of the 23andMe and the DNA, I think that's where our initial um, research question very much came from, that DNA testing. But you know, this question of am I mixed enough? Is it a matter of genealogy? Is it genetics or is it phenotype? Right. And, you know, I, again, you know, we were spending nights in, in our department, you know, I'm finishing up my thesis, you know, Suan is doing her, her, her own work. And, you know, I'm expressing to her that even though I am Dougala genetically, right? Um, I always felt like my siblings had, a, you know, a, a greater claim to that because of their phenotype, right, particularly in terms of hair, right, the texture of their hair. And that's where our, you know, initial question, you know, came from, right? I guess it's, it's DNA versus, you know, mm -hmm. how one presents as Dougala, right? Um, so that, that's a very interesting point you raised there. Um, I will let Suan take the floor. Um, and also Stuart Hall was our friend. We did a very close reading, right, of his work on culture and identity. So, yeah, and I think 
the best way to kind of add to your observations would be to think about somebody like myself, who is not necessarily a 50-50 dogla. I'm multiracial. I identify both as mixed and black. And it is because people would approach me and say things to me. And in a place like Transvega, you could be called just about anything. But I grew up in a neighborhood that's very multicultural. So I grew up going to um, temple for weddings. I go to church. I go to prayers in the yard. My family is both Muslim, um, not only um, Muslim, but also Christian and other religions. So it's, a, it's like you always have a taste. So you find this kind of home in all of this, as well as my last name is Barrett, which is in Trinidad Tobago, um, culturally marked as um, Indo-Caribbean. So people would be like, mm, so you with a dogla? You're here kind of curly? And that would be the kind of response. And then, of course, my eyes are very slanted and people would be like, well, you look like you might be East Asian, little touch there. So people always are reading your body, reading your cultural awareness, reading so forth. Is it a mythology? No, we argue that it's real in terms of the consequences to the person, not only in terms of those moments of acceptance, but especially in those moments of rejection. Or more for, so for our Douglas, when you stand in a space and you hear a part of you rejected by another one person who does not presume that you belong there or that you feel you belong there and you listen and you witness of rejection and, and criticism and, 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 and things that are disturbing and you realize, oh, if they knew or if they hadn't interpreted me, however they interpreted you, it would be variable, especially as it relates to politics. So Douglas, as they say, um, never disconnect from the complexity. You live it every single day, depending on how you look that day, um, as Aaliyah said. So how your hair look, how your face look, how your skin look, what you say and what your name is and who your family is. And it is so perpetually, which is great. I mean, they love it. They're like, yeah, bring it on. But it can be hard for others to understand. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, particularly you spoke about rejections too, right? So there, you know, there are those Douglas who we interviewed who very much spoke of these negative you know, experiences of Douglas. Right, so rejection by family members, right? There's one interview I, I always remember, right, of a young man being given up, you know, his mother's forced to give him up yeah. because, you know, his Indo Trinidadian mother, you know, has, you know, is with a, an Afro Trinidadian man and she becomes pregnant, and his Indo Trinidadian grandfather forces the mother to give him up to an orphanage. And, you know, there are these stories, right? There are Douglas who have experienced, you know, hardships right, in terms of, you know, belonging, right, um, in this way. So there are those who very much, you know, as Sue say, you know, they, they love being Douglas, right? They can be this, that, they can maneuver, right? The Douglas, particularly those who are mixed enough, right? Ingenious is very much marked on the body, right? Are very much like, as, yeah, as ideal, as beautiful, right? You know, because Blackness is, you know, um, diminished, right? But for others, there, you know, there are those experiences, you know, of rejection, right, in, in that way. And um, Professor Ma um, Matthews, Patricia, you spoke about, um, you know, the idea of, you know, mixing or, you know, mixedness in that way, maybe becoming the solution, right, maybe to, you know, issues around race, right? Um, you didn't say it in those words. <laughs> you didn't say it in those words, right? But, you know, the same sort of um, 
you know, theorization, you know, centered, you know, was centered around the Douglas as well. The idea of Douglarization will solve the race problem in Trinidad and Tobago. Maybe Sue could speak more to Douglarization. Yeah, in fact, I would use the words of Douglas, who said, you know, as when they were talking about a child growing up and their bringing, there is this hopeful notion that the divides that exist between majority ethnic groups in our country, not only ours, but Guyana as well, would somehow uh, be mediated or lessened by Douglarization as a thesis. But truthfully, it's not because it points in stark contrast who we are and who we can be and where we are and then all of the nuances. So for example, within a family of the same parents, you can have children who all look different. And then hierarchies are set up within that family based on hair texture, skin color, and et cetera, beauty, whatever. And so it makes it even more present and, and in fact, the issues of, of race and ethnicity and racialization need to be confronted in terms of valuation, and we don't have a solution to that today. But you can continue to contemplate it. But in, in, in fact, it seems very optimistic to think that blurring everything would really add an understanding of human complexity. But for myself, who can be blurry one minute and not blurry the other minute, it just makes you have to be explaining yourself over and over and over. And that can be exhausting. So there is a, you know. Thank you very much for that. It is true that it, it, it uh, ex if anything, it exposes different hierarchies, including racial hierarchies. So, so uh, exposing that, uh, it's not that there's no racism, it's that a different form of racism or other forms of hierarchy, including class, including whatever is inherited by the colonial, colonial, colonialism imposed in, uh, in, in those particular areas, right? But at, and at the same time, uh, thinking as an anthropology, I don't know what Linda would think, uh, I think is this need that apparently the humans uh, have of labeling things and of thinking in binaries and 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 trying to organize their own brains uh, by feeling comfortable whether they understand if this label is assigned or this etiquette uh, is uh, good to organize uh, uh, the brain and uh, and in a way I think Dugla uh, subverts that but at the same time it becomes part of an establishment where the organization continues to be hierarchical and sometimes often unfair. I mean, I see the colorism that maybe you're referring to, Suan, and um, it just it pushes. But but what I like is that it pushes us. Your your work uh, pushes us to continue thinking um, further in those lines. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we have. Um... It's almost seven, so I think we'll wrap up. There are a couple more questions um, in the chat box. So um, Harold Ramdas asks, has the election of Kamala Harris as a VP um, become in any way a point of reference in Douglas identity in the Caribbean and the U.S. among the diaspora? Um, no, only a point of recognition. So yeah. from my observation, Trinidadian Douglas are like, She's a dobler, right? Yeah. And that's it, full stop. But we are not, no. They just, I mean, they just like her as a woman, politician, et cetera. But that's it. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, I wrote down, and, you know, you're drawing from, um, you're in collaboration, right, intellectually with other folks, but 
I think Suen, you wrote, um, I, I didn't write the entire sentence, but I just wrote the body as text and place and space as context. And mm -hmm. it is really fascinating to me to see um, like how she's, you know, being read. South Asians are like, oh yeah, like she's us, you know? So just this kind of projection on, and recognition too onto yeah. her. It's yeah. very fascinating. What I would say a more, a more, a more, you know, theory, you know, thoughtful answers, I would say, um, when one, like a Dogla, when one can be um, referenced in a political context, one can be claimed across the board. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the, the mixed versus experience mm -hmm. depending on how one looks. So it is perfectly legitimate to be South Asian, to be uh, Caribbean, to be Black or African, right? It is perfectly. Um, what the Dogla does, as we say, it was a language of articulation. The Dogla just takes for granted, well, you're a Dogla, and by virtue of being Dogla, you're fitting everywhere. As somebody said, listen to me. I could walk down and go here, there. People could claim me, and I embrace that multiple affinities, um, whether it has a positive or negative. So in terms of that, I, I would say that, you know, observing how people were um, recognizing and identifying, we just sat back and said, yeah, she's a dogla. Yeah, it was just yeah, recognition, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll ask this last question. There are a couple of questions in the chat, and I think um, taken together, it is asking whether... Dagla is just, I mean, you can just restate this, whether um, Dagla is a multiracial person or, right, like what is this, just maybe restate like the specificity of mixedness. Um, yeah, so there is a follow-up. So if a person is mixed race with black and white, for example, and not Indian, would that person be classified as Dagla? No. No. So Africanness and Indianness must very much be apparent, right? Yeah. Dugla can be biracial and multiracial, but of course, Africanness is modified by Indianness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I think with that, we'll end. Um, thank you so much. This was this was really great. I was so glad that um, you were able to do the talk. Thank, thank you for having me. Okay, so. On behalf of Ari, thank you to Professor Barrett and Ranjit Singh again for a wonderful presentation. Uh, thank you, Linta, for moderating and to the BMCC uh, Department of Race and Ethnic Studies for co-sponsoring tonight's event. As a reminder, you can purchase a copy of Dogla in the 21st Century online at the University Press of Mississippi's website. It's currently on sale for $20.22. Uh, that's both the hardcover and the softcover. But I saw online yesterday on Amazon, the hardcover is actually slightly cheaper for 19 and change. So if you want the hardcover on Amazon, you can go there too. Uh, enjoy your weekend and remember to be upstander if you see a fellow person in need. Uh, good night, everybody. And good night. Have a good weekend. Good night. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye. Good night, everyone.